0: Welcome to the Across the Peak Podcast, the show where Rich and Justin discuss preparedness, the birds and the bees, guns, history, tattoos, and well, basically all the stuff your old man should have taught you. Rich Brown's a failed 70s child actor, retired Marine Corps officer and former cop. Justin Carroll, he's a washed-up former special operator, half-assed author, and adventurer at large. Learn life skills, harden the f up, and become a dangerous
1: man. Get your damn boots on, gents, because we're going across the peak.
0: All right, ladies and gents, welcome back to Across the Peak podcast. I am your host and tour guide, Rich Brown, and I am joined by my partner in crime, Justin Carroll. Justin, what's up, my brother?
1: Not much, man. I spent the day hanging out in the big city. Uh, eating a little pizza, drinking a little beer, hanging out with ladies, and uh, just came back to record this podcast, man.
0: What kind of beer you drink?
1: Uh, let's see, I had something called um, oh man, it was something grapefruit, which I don't I don't really typically go in for super fruity beers, but it was also an IPA, which I thought the fruit might cut the hops a little bit. I'm not a big IPA dude, like I I got no problem admitting that, like the super bitter, like. One million IBUs, like that's not my thing, dude. So I thought the I thought the fruit might temper the bitterness of the uh, the the hops a little bit, uh, and it was all right.
0: Do you know where IPA comes from?
1: I do. When we it's, talked about this. I do. It's India Pale L, and they would extra the British would extra hop beer because that has some sort of uh, like anti something property in it that they shipped to India to make it survive the uh the voyage. Yeah, you're like the first person I've I've met that knew what that was. You know how I know that? Did I tell you? <laughs> no, when I went to when I went to jump school, there's a bar down there in at in Columbus, Georgia, Columbia, Georgia, Columbus, Georgia. There's a bar down there called the Cannon or something like that. They got a cannon at the front of the place, and that's the place where all the jump school students, all the ranger school students, everybody hangs out. Everybody goes to eat on the weekend before they go out to the one bar, the one other bar in that place to, to get stupid. And they had a big sign that they called their IPA, the Special Operations IPA, because this was delivered to Britain's, quote unquote, Special Operations Troops occupying India uh, and, and explained like where that came from. I thought that was pretty neat. And, uh, I'm glad you didn't have a radically different, uh, story than that because that's the only place I've heard it. And I don't know how valuable stuff you read on the wall of a bar is.
0: I tell you what, I have found some really, uh, really deep intellectual stuff on the walls of bars, but yeah, man, um, I was in Halifax, Nova Scotia a few years ago and we, uh, my wife and I toured the, uh, Alexander Keith Brewery up there, and uh that's where they are famous for making i p a s and That's where I learned the story and I guess these British soldiers who were stationed in India really developed a taste for that hoppy stuff, and when they came back home, they were like, "I want some more of that so it was never intended you know to be commercially viable; it was just like you said some sort of fermentation process that could secure the voyage but I thought that was pretty cool.
1: Yeah, I've, I brewed beer, and and maybe we could do an episode on that sometime. I'm definitely not the expert on it, and there's podcasts about brewing where experts talk about it. But I'm happy to run my mouth about it for 40 minutes.
0: Yeah, and I'm drinking a dark ale called Black Toad. I think it's, it's uh, made in San Jose, California, and it's pretty damn good.
1: That sounds good, man. Going into the quote of the day, and I'm just completely making this up because we don't actually have a quote of the day segment, so uh, I, I'm just shooting from the hip here. Uh, but speaking of profound wisdom that we have read off the walls of bars, uh, here's one. Bear is not the answer for anything. It's the question, and the answer is always yes.
0: Ooh, that's deep. <laughs> you know, maybe, maybe yeah. we should do a quote yeah. of the day.
1: Like, that, that should enrich everybody's <laughs> life, having heard oh, that. Oh,
0: yeah. When I was an operations officer in the Marine Corps, every day I sent out a quote on the daily ticket, and uh, which is the commander's attainment report, and um, and I got into the habit of collecting these. I'll have to find them somewhere because I've got hundreds of these damn things that I uh, accumulated, and I really put some thought into each and every one, and I tried to make it meaningful. And uh, matter of fact, that that goes to something else. I told a junior officer one time, I said, when you send out your evening report, put something in there somewhere in a, like the third appendices or some something that says like the first Marine that calls me that they've read this, I will buy them and their Marines a pizza or something like that or a case of beer and um, th- that just to make sure that they're reading the damn thing. Because a lot of times, like, yeah, 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 I take it off the fax machine or I pull it off the PDF, I three-hole punch it, I throw in a binder, and I chuck it on the thing. And so he gets to Kuwait, and he says, man, you won't believe it. I got over here, and I pull a, the three-ring binder off, and I go, these are all the reports we've been getting, and they're all blank. But the Marines had dutifully three-hole punched in these blank reports that came in on PDF and filed them. And the moron on the, in, in the United States had been sending these things over wrong side down on the scanner. But nobody <laughs> had taken the time <laughs> to call back. Oh, my
1: God. That's priceless, Isn't that man. great?
0: And, and he said, dude, now I know why you <laughs> taught me that years ago to put something in there so, to, so that I knew when somebody called me, people were actually reading this shit.
1: You know what, man? I I, I think everybody thinks Marines are full of themselves and thinks think that even if you're a Navy SEAL that went to 18 Delta and SEAL Team 6 and whatever, that we all think that if you didn't go to Marine recruit training, you haven't done anything with your life. But let me tell you that, like, I'll dispel that myth right now and just straight up tell you that sounds like some stuff Marines would do. That sounds like typical Marine behavior. Putting it upside down in the fax machine.
0: Yeah. Speaking of typical Marine behavior, I guess that's a <laughs> great segue to get into today's show. And today's show is more or less entitled on becoming competent and dangerous. And before we get into where that phrase competent and dangerous comes from, man, um, and we've talked a little bit about our background in the Marine Corps. I was in the Marine Corps for 23 years and retired and as a chief warrant officer. And you spent how many years?
1: Uh, I spent eight years in the Marine Corps and then uh, about seven years after that in various uh, civilian capacities around the uh, special operations community and the intelligence community.
0: So having said that, uh, you know, the Marine Corps talks a lot about its warrior ethos. And before we start breaking words down, Justin, I want to kind of just throw it out there to you. You know, as Marines, when you hear the phrase warrior ethos, man, what
1: does that mean to you? Man, I don't know that I really have a great, eloquent, succinct, punchy answer for this. I'm going to give you—I'm going to ramble on for five minutes, and at the end of it, you're going to be like, yeah, I could pick two or three things of that, uh, out of that and distill it down to one thing that's probably an ethos. But to me, uh, a warrior ethos is—man, I hate to use the word code, but—and uh, and I don't know if it's a code exactly, but if you're a warrior and and you have that ethos, you're part of that team, you do what needs to get done— you're not the guy that's bitching about everything or asking, why do we have to do this? Or why do they want to do us like that? It's it's just this, let's pitch in, let's get it done. Uh, it, it doesn't matter why we have to do it. It doesn't matter why they want it uh, want it done this way. It just has to be done. So let's get it done. And let's do it as competently, as completely, as efficiently as possible. Let's do so while maintaining the best possible security for the unit. Let's do so while um, you know, doing everything we can to take care of the men around us. Um, I, I I don't know if that makes any sense or if, or if that really drives at what you're getting at, but it's being, it's being, uh, skilled in your job. It's being willing to do your job with, without asking a lot of whole, a whole lot of questions. And when I say that, I don't mean morally questioning what you're being told to do or not morally questioning it. I mean, uh, if it's not a moral conundrum or quandary, just flying in and, and getting shit done for lack of a better term. No, I
0: think that's that's I think your I think your line of thought is sound and I, I would for the listener, the word ethos is actually from the ancient Greeks. And um for them ethos meant and this is kinda interesting, Justin, an accustomed place or um instinctually to seeking an accustomed place, something like that. And uh Believe it or not the the first time that we see the word ethos used was when Homer used the word and he was using it to describe a place where uh they kept horses and the Greeks would store their horses after a battle say against the Trojans in in an ethos uh and it was in these places that the horses were at ease you know they could relax after the battle cuz just like us man horses are social animals So when you corral those horses together in an ethos, they could relax uh, because they had grown accustomed to each other for the long travel that they did together. Um, They had been in combat together. Now they're chilling out together. They're, They're forming these familial bonds. And the ethos, the corral, if you will, sustained and reinforced their unit integrity and their individual character, et cetera, et cetera. So we see this this ethos then, this place that they can relax and, you know, be horses, you know, as a place that sustained their resilience and restored their ability to fight for another day. So, flash forward several hundred years and you have Herodotus who picks up the word ethos once again, only this time he uses it to mean something like, uh, something that generates a sense of custom or habit, uh, a use or a practice, something like that. So, it started becoming more of the social skills that we would kind of see it today. And then Aristotle incorporated it and made it a little bit more practical as he, his discourse on ethics. So the idea of ethos continued to evolve into what we probably would know it more as today, like manners, customs, personal disposition, someone's character, or today we would probably call it moral character. Does that, does that kinda make sense?
1: Yeah, that that definitely makes sense to me. Boy, this is this is a an awfully big topic and uh I, I I think we're both gonna struggle at times to really put this into uh like to be succinct with this, just to be really tight with our verbiage and, and have on point answers. But yeah, I think that makes a lot of sense.
0: So I, I don't mind if philosophical thought and how we express it is a little fuzzy because I think it probably should be. Um, I think that when we speak in absolutes in terms of philosophical concepts, sometimes we may miss it. But today I wanted to make sure we understand the warrior ethos specifically because when we use the word warrior, all warrior means is that someone is a combatant in a type of struggle. And I, I, I don't Think I don't remember if it was von Clausewitz or Napoleon or someone who described if you think of warfare or a warrior as someone who's involved in a struggle like two men in a in a wrestling match or jujitsu they're they're each trying to impose their will violently on the other person so it's a violent clash of wills so I want to make sure that the listener understands all that because what we're going to talk about now is. Uh, Jordan Peterson, if you're not, if you're not familiar with Dr. Peterson's work, uh, I'll tell you a little bit about him because he's important to today's uh, topic on becoming competent and dangerous. Dr. Peterson studied at the University of Alberta, McGill University. He remained at McGill as a postdoctoral fellow before moving on to the Harvard University here in the states, where he was a, an associate professor in the psycholo- uh, psychology department. And he later moved back to Canada to the University of Toronto as a full professor. Uh, Jordan, Dr. Jordan Peterson has written two different books. His first book was Maps of Meaning, and his second book is on uh, 12 Rules for Life. And uh, he gave an interview recently with John Stossel. I'm, are you familiar with Dr. Peterson at all?
1: A little bit, yeah.
0: Well, recently he gave this interview with John Stossel, and I'm, I'm sure most of the li- listeners have heard him at some point. And uh, Dr. Peterson said something during the interview that I thought was pretty neat. He said, quote, it's very helpful p- for people to hear that they should make themselves competent and dangerous and take their place in the world. And um, Stossel, of course, was like, competent, dangerous, What? Do you, why dangerous? And Dr. Peterson said, there's nothing to you otherwise. If you're not a formidable force, there's no morality in your self-control. If you're incapable of violence, not being violent isn't a virtue. People who teach martial arts know this full well. If you learn martial arts, you learn to be dangerous, but simultaneously you learn to control it. Life is a very difficult process, and you're not prepared for it unless you have the capacity to be dangerous. Now, a lot of people, you know, they they either dig Dr. Peterson or they don't, man. How do you feel about that philosophically?
1: Well, before we go further, I think we should define both competency and danger. And I'm going to give my uh my definition of competency and and like we haven't talked about this beforehand we haven't like we haven't really rehearsed this episode it's not scripted we're we're kind of going off the hip here so i don't know if my definition of competency or or the analog i'm going to use for this is going to completely jive with your definition of it but this is largely how i look at competency and it was defined for me really recently and i i used to think of the coyote as the ultimate example of this, but I recently in one of my favorite podcasts.
0: You talking about the cartoon character?
1: <laughs> no, no, definitely <laughs> not. I'm talking about the uh the animal that can pretty much survive anywhere in any environment through any kind of food shortage, any kind of change in environment. You can you know, like uh the coyotes of LA were were of Los Angeles, of downtown Los Angeles. There are coyotes that are living there and thriving. Uh, because they can they can adapt to their environment really really well. But uh, another example I heard of this recently was on one of my favorite podcasts. It was on the Outside Podcast, and they have a continuing series called the Science of Survival. And their most recent episode, which we'll link to in the show notes, is called uh, "A Very Old Man for a Wolf." And it talks about this one specific wolf out in Oregon. And there's a, a scientist that studies wolves wolves on there who says a wolf is competent, a wolf has to get, I I don't know, seven pounds of meat a day for itself and all its family members, a wolf has to avoid, uh, you know, all these dangers, a wolf has to, like, find a habitat, it has to, you know, it has to do all these things, and like your wolves that survive and thrive are just competent. That's, that's exactly how she defined it. And I, I don't think she could have done possibly done a better job or chosen a better word. That wolf is just competent in all the things that it has to do to thrive to include, um, being dangerous sometimes, uh, being dangerous to potential predators. And we are the only predators, um, th- the only thing that would, would prey on a wolf potentially. Um, but also being dangerous to, to just other things that might incidentally pose a threat. Uh, a wolf is just competent in all those things. And, and to me that like that really, really resonates. I would, we'll link to that in the show notes on across the peak.com highly recommend you go listen to that episode and, and listen to that whole story. It's awesome, but also how she describes the competency of a wolf and, and what competency means. Would you disagree with that? Or do you like, do you have something that goes along, uh, along a different line than that? No, not really
0: man i having looked up the uh definition earlier, you know it's basically what you're saying efficient and capable. you know those are the two words that that jump to my mind. efficient, which obviously a wolf is they they're burning calories as they're moving through their environment. They have to be efficient in order to sustain the amount of you know uh, cal- uh the well, the their caloric deficit that they have daily and they got to be capable and if they're not capable they're going to be selected for extinction and obviously they're thriving in almost any environment so i'd say they're they're doing they're doing well
1: yeah they they talk about one particular wolf in this that that is tagged so they can track its movement it has a litter of pups it has to feed these pups and what it does is it goes out and kills something it eats a bunch of meat and runs back and and throws it up so the young can eat it and they track this wolf and it moved 30 miles to kill whatever it killed. I don't remember exactly what it was in that example. It moved 30 miles and 30 miles back, a 60-something-mile round trip in a day to make that happen, which is just a ridiculous feat, and, like, it does what it has to do. It's competent.
0: Well, since we're going down this—and uh, I, I, I love etymology, or I don't even know if I'm saying that right. And forgive me, listener, I am autodidactic in, the, in that— I've read and, and got a lot of my information without fully understanding how to say a lot of it. So I apologize up front. But when we when we talk about, so we, we define competent, let's define dangerous. Let's and, do it. And the way that uh, danger is defined from what I've put here together in my notes is able or likely to cause harm or injury.
1: Rich, is that grave danger?
0: Is there any other kind?
1: Oh, man, I would have been so disappointed if you dropped the ball on that. I'm so glad you picked that up.
0: Love that. Love that movie. But, um, yeah, so able or likely to cause harm. So so if we put these two words together, you're efficient and capable of causing harm or injury to someone else. Now, how could that possibly be a virtue?
1: Well, that can possibly be a virtue in any number of ways. So it's... I think it's fairly rare that the average individual has to actually has to engage in physical violence these days. We we move in a very and before I go into this, don't like don't mistake me, don't mistake what I'm saying as one of these people that longs for the world to just evolve into anarchy so I can run around and do whatever I want. But if that happened I I fully believe I would thrive in that environment. I don't want that. I don't want that for my family. I don't want that for my, I mean, let's be honest. We all know people that would, that we love that just probably wouldn't make it. Um, So like, I don't want that. I've I've lived in those environments. I've been in those like kind of dog eat dog environments. I don't long for that here. I'm very appreciative of what we have here, but... Uh, should that time come, I'm, I'm more than capable of meeting it, or I think I am, like I'm, I might just like take one between a running lights in the first two seconds and and that's that. But um, to the extent that I can, I, I will face that challenge. If I am accosted on the street, I will face that challenge. If I am, uh, you and I talk about this a lot, the imposition of will, and I don't like being in a position where anyone can physically impose their will upon me, can physically make me do something I don't want to do. There are times where I will do things that I don't want to do because it's in my long-term best interest, but I never want to be in a, in a circumstance where someone can make me do anything I want to do, where someone can, uh, detain me against my will or physically move me to another location or physically, um, make me do anything or make me do something because I'm afraid of that person. Um, I, I think the, the ability and the, the, uh the, the state of being competent and dangerous is what prevents that what uh one makes most of the people around me and and that know me um man i'm i'm going to sound like i'm really full of myself i promise you i'm not but uh pro- definitely a few of them makes them think twice in how they speak to me because i see how they speak to other people and they don't speak to me that way um, and, and the other part of that is uh, if they don't know that, they will quickly learn that that my will is not that easily bent. If it if it comes to it, I might lose. I might ultimately lose, but it's not going to be uh, it's not going to be easy for them.
0: Yeah, man, and you know I think it was uh, Robert Howard who created Conan back in the 30s once said, "Civilized men are more discourteous than savages because they know they can be impolite without having their skulls split." And I think that lends itself to what you said. If people know you and they know your capabilities, they're probably gonna be a little bit more courteous to you out of respect because they know uh that there's a line they can cross and, and they will um they will be put back physically in check. And and Jordan Dr. Jordan Peterson talks about this. He says as a man, that's important that people know uh you're not necessarily someone to be trifled with. And I also want to circle back to what you said, you know, cuz we have talked a lot you and I about the imposition of will. And I'm going to I'm going to jump on that train for just a moment for the listener. When we talk about what a warrior is or is not, uh, as we defined it a moment ago, it's it's a person who engages in this violent struggle of wills with another opponent. In that context, someone who is um, imposing his will on the other person i don 't ever want to be that guy who has another actor imposing his will on me, Thus, I train my mind, I train my body, I train my spirit, I train in uh, combatives and shooting, et etc, so that I am ready when the time comes and i won't It will not be easy to impose your will on me. I promise you that. But to go also, Justin, to go back to the John Stossel interview, I want to, I want to talk about, I'm going to give you that sentence that Jordan Peterson gave. He said, life is a very difficult process and you're not prepared for it unless you have the capacity to be dangerous. To which Stossel replied, by dangerous, that implies I should be ready to threaten someone, to hurt somebody. And Dr. Peterson said, no. You should be capable of it, but that doesn't mean you should do it. And and I think, Justin, that's what you were saying. And the question kind of would come back, how can we be virtuous if we are incapable of actually accomplishing it? Because it seems to me the virtue stems from the fact that we're competent, okay, with and first, because without that ability, no virtue can be
1: achieved. That's absolutely right. There, so there's there's multiple facets to this right so if it's if it's a moral thing of i don't um of let's use some extreme examples right so let's say there's a situation where i see another man uh, violently imposing his will on someone who's weaker than he is and i i take ideological beef with that for lack of a better word I, i i disagree with that and my, my value system, my value, my code, my ethos says you have to intervene and you have to do something. If I don't have the ability to back that up, then like my, like what, what good is my value system? Uh, another example might be at my job. If my company says we're going to do something that is grossly unethical, possibly illegal, whatever the case may be, I might have great like value issue with that, which, which I am, uh. I'm a very firm believer in being financially like I'm not financially independent. Like I still have to work for a living, but I don't have any debt. I don't have like I don't have a dime of debt. Uh, I have money in the bank. I have like I have a big credit line still, just because I haven't canceled it. But um, like I'm in a position where if I have a disagreement, if I if I disagree about something strong enough, a job can't be held over my head. I can walk away at any time. I'm going to have to find another job. Don't don't. Like, don't mistake what I'm saying here. I'm I'm not rich. I'm not, I'm not rich brown. I don't have rich brown money, <laughs> but, but if I, like, if I'm beholden to that people, to that company, to that person, I don't have that power. I don't have that leverage. And there's, there's an awesome, awesome quote. And, uh, man, I, I can't remember who said it, but I will link to it in the show notes. But, um, actually it was Diogenes. Diogenes was, uh, his, his friend, who was plump and fat from serving the king, saw Di- saw Diogenes eating bread and lentils for his supper, and said, "If you would learn to be subservient to the king, you wouldn't have to eat bread and lentils." And Diogenes said, "If you would learn to live on bread and lentils, you wouldn't have to be subservient to the king." And I th- I think that's like I think that's illustrative of what I'm trying to say. I don't I don't I, I need my company's money, uh, but if I didn't have it, I could still make my own way. I could still live and I I can sustain myself for, you know, I have enough money to sustain myself for, you know, a year, year and a half, two years, whatever the case may be. uh, If I, if I absolutely had to, and if I have enough of an ideological divide, I have the ability to do that. So my values actually mean something. It's not just something I say, it's something that I have the ability to follow through on.
0: I love that quote, man. I'm glad you, I'm glad you uh, put that out there. And, Let's let's be real, you know, in preparing for today, I you know, you were like, I don't know if we should discuss this topic. And I'm like, you're a dangerous dude, Justin Carroll. And the skill set that you have acquired over probably two decades up to this point, if you decided tomorrow to use them to be a bad guy, you would be a dangerous bad guy indeed. Um, But and I've heard this said and I, I really like it. People, bad guys use violence. And I hate using the term bad guy because it sounds like cartoon character stuff. But for lack of a better term, let's, uh, a bad actor, they will use violence as a means of coercion to to bend people to their will. However, those of us that train, I would, instead of using the term violence, I, I like to use the term force. I'm a former cop, and I understand that word and its usage. So if we're going to train in the use of violence... To become a a more dangerous and competent person, then we also need to understand the application of justifiable force, and um, and we really need to understand it in, inside and out, and the techniques, tactics, and strategies that that uh, that come with justifiable force. Because if not, we're just running around. We're a violent dude, and we've got all these techniques, tactics, procedures, strategies, etc. We're just nothing but a big hammer looking for a nail head, right?
1: I totally agree with that. And if if all if the only tool you have is a hammer, every problem looks like a nail. We're not the first people to coin that term; it's been around for years. But I couldn't agree with it more. Violence uh, has to exist on a spectrum from you know not even not even violence or force. Uh, maybe for maybe you're right. Maybe force is a better term because I'm just thinking from. You know, maybe not even a strong word, maybe just a direct word of no. I'm not going to do that. that, That's not violent. I'm not being violent. I'm not raising my voice. I'm not being menacing. But that that does escalate to a certain level of force against whoever's telling me to do something that I don't want to do for some reason, or I have ideological questions about doing, and I decide I'm not going to do it. All the way up through like deadly force, and I I guess you could kind of relate that to you know the escalation of force requirements in iraq and afghanistan or whatever or escalation of force as a cop from you know verbal commands to to physical uh, intervention to sticks to pepper spray to guns or whatever um it it should exist on a spectrum and you 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 know let, let me just talk about escalation of force for a minute you don't have to go through all those steps if the if the guy's coming at you with the gun you don't have to go through the flowchart of like hey stop and then go to your, like, try to physically manhandle him and then pull out your pepper spray. And then finally, can you shoot that person? You can You can jump to any one of the steps on that continuum at any point as as the situation dictates. But that doesn't mean that when my boss tells me, hey, you need to go do this, and I don't agree with it, that I pull a gun on him, right? I Like, I'm all over the place here, but save me, Rich.
0: No, no, <laughs> no, no, I think your point is, Correct. You know, and as a police officer, we called it the use of force continuum because it is a continuum. It's a, It can be an escalating series of actions that an officer may use to resolve the situation. You can move up and down the continuum. Uh, and like you said, it could be the, the first thing is officer presence. You know, when I step on the scene as a police officer um, and try to figure out what's the best way to resolve this problem, I'm just kind of figuring out what's going on, I'm assessing attitudes, I'm trying to be professional and yet non-threatening, right? But if all of a sudden they pull out a handgun, I'm not going to my next thing on the use of force continuum is verbalization You know, where I try to issue calm, non-threatening commands. But if they pull out that handgun, verbalization's out the window. I think that's what you're getting at. We're going straight to lethal force because I have a lethal force threat in front of me. But Getting back to our discussion today, when we discuss dangerous, being competent and dangerous, I think think as men, um, we need to look at it ethically. Like, what does it mean to be dangerous, competent, and ethical? And that's where the justifiable use of force needs to be uh, put into context, right? I mean, because... When you were in Iraq and Afghanistan, you had an ROE, Rules of Engagement. It wasn't a use-of-force continuum. It told you basically when it was lawful for you to use force, right? Yep. Now, use-of-force in in the context of when you were taking down high-value targets or whatever, it might mean we're on a detainment mission, but things could go sideways, and, and now the guy we were there to detain— we're going to use lethal force against and would that be appropriate
1: as the situation dictates, if he represents a, a threat of, you know, grievous, body, grievous bodily harm or death, if he represents a lethal force threat, then yeah, that's absolutely appropriate.
0: Yeah. So I think, I think for the listener right now to kind of recap what we're talking about here is being efficient and capable of causing the ability uh, or causing harm or injury to someone. Uh, not in a menacing way, but in a virtuous way. Uh, and that means showing high moral and ethical standards, and that's why we had a discussion on ethos. Um, so in order to use justifiable force, I'm going to use the minimal amount of force necessary to accomplish my objective. For example, I had a friend. They were trying to take down this mosque, and there was a bunch of foreign fighters inside this mosque. I, I think it was in Iraq, and they were—you know—some Marines were getting shot. They did not want to destroy the mosque. They did not want to kill all the foreign fighters. But at some point, you have to weigh your options and and decide that the best thing to do is to have an AV-8 Harrier jet drop a bomb on this place, right?
1: Yeah, sometimes you. So, yeah, sometimes you got to do what you got to do. You got to weigh that risk of like how what is this what is this building worth what is the what are the second and third order effects like how many people in the community is this going to piss off how many more people is this going to tw- turn toward the the opposition's complicated equation but yeah sometimes that decision has to be made
0: yeah and you know because the law of land warfare would kind of tell us that it's inappropriate to destroy a mosque or someone's, you know, religious building or structure. But at the same time, it doesn't mean that I have to get a hundred Marines slaughtered in the process of not dropping a bomb on the mosque. So these are these are important ethical questions that you know every single day uh, strong men are making on behalf of us because it's what keeps us safe at night. So you have to have wisdom. Uh, on the ethical use of this knowledge because once you once you have the knowledge of how to become a dangerous person whether that's how to breach someone's uh physical structure to go inside and bend your bend them to your will or whether it's uh, some real sexy martial arts technique no matter what it is you have to understand uh or I think you do of the virtue surrounding force because force can be used for good it it's good It's used for good every single day. You know, you and I are, for lack of a better word, I certainly don't think of myself as a gun guy, but perhaps the listener may judge me that way. And that's fair enough. Call me what you like. But what I would say is you bring your morals to the gun. The gun doesn't bring its morals to you. It's just an inanimate object. The person that uses a a Glock handgun to commit a, a heinous murder, the same Glock handgun with a slightly different serial number is being used to save a life on another part of town. Would you agree with that?
1: Or to stop, or to stop that very individual. I I definitely would agree with that. And let me throw my stank on this. Uh, I I didn't mean to turn this into a law of land warfare or a continuum of force, uh, which is what we called it when I was a, uh, uh, martial arts instructor. I didn't mean to turn it into one of those discussions. Um, but it, but to your point, using the minimal amount of force necessary, and frequently that is no force. And and I I like where you're going with this. Like having the ability to use force is different than going out and using force and and using it arbitrarily, which I, I'm pretty sure is exactly the point you're 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 driving toward. Is maybe not only using it for good, but sometimes discretion is the better part of valor. And there are certainly. Uh, So I'm kind of, thanks to you, I've kind of become a a student of lethal force, uh, the laws and the aftermath following lethal force incidents. And man, I'll be honest with you, sometimes there there are situations, um, you you know, there's an awesome uh, woman who's facing a civil, a massive civil lawsuit right now, and it's probably going to cost her, you know, somewhere between... I don't know, five and, you know, mid six figures to deal with this because she saw a law enforcement officer being assaulted um, on the ground, being being beaten. She pulled her her lawful concealed carry firearm out and shot this guy that was beating the cop. The chief of police, you know, praised her in public. Uh, I think they had some sort of presentation for her, and then she gets sued by the family. So there, and, and that will impact her life for years to come, will impact her financially. Um, it, it, it's, you know, sometimes, like, sometimes discretion is the better part of valor, even though I might want to step in in a situation uh, and help some. Sometimes it's, you know, just because I have that ability doesn't mean I always have to apply it. It definitely doesn't mean I apply it just to get my way or just because I, you know, just because I don't. Uh, you know, don't totally agree with you know with somebody else. Sometimes you you got to take one on the chin, take one for the team. It just it it is what it is. Um, but I guess, uh, boy, this is an analogy that's about to go just totally sideways. But have you ever seen the show Dexter? Never. No, I'm familiar with
0: it, but I've never seen
1: it. Okay. Well, maybe maybe I shouldn't even go there. But uh, and and like certainly I don't want to glorify ser- serial killers. That's that's not what I. It's not what my intent is at all. But. Uh, He had this amazing capability, this fictional character, had this amazing capability to apply lethal force at the time and place of his choosing in a very surgical manner. But he lived within a very specific code. He basically preyed on other serial killers and other uh, people who who were harming, like, you know, grievously injuring other members of the community. And I guess that's how I would frame the ability to do violence, within a within some sort of, man, I, I, dude, this is like the fourth time I've used this word and I hate it, but some sort of code, some sort of, some sort of model. And, and like, I don't exactly know how to define mine, uh, other than, uh, don't fuck with somebody that's not fucking with you. (laughs) Oh,
0: I love it. I love it. And when it comes to, you know, um, use of force, you have used levels of force on other human beings, that would that would put most people in prison right and and i have too. i've done everything from uh, bashing people in the face with the muzzle of my rifle to dropping bombs on people to choking people unconscious and 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 everything in between and the reason that you and i are not rotting away in some prison somewhere is because those uses of force called violence if you want but those uses of force were lawful necessary justified, and documented uses of force under the color of some sort of higher authority, whether that authority was the state of Tennessee where I was a police officer, the United States government, etc., etc. So um, in those instances, there are certain uh, societal bodies, whether it's government or what have you, that will give certain people the right to use force. But when we're using force, I would, I would say, think about this. Don't hurt when holding is enough. Don't harm when hurting is enough. Don't cripple when harming is enough. And don't kill when crippling is enough. So again, it's the minimal use of force to accomplish your objective. And your objective should be to stop the, the violence going on in front of you i mean we're using we're using our justified use of force to stop this violent act in front of us, and we're not going to use a disproportionate amount of force we're going to use the minimal amount of justifiable force necessary to accomplish our objective
1: yeah and and again, not to turn this into a use of force or a self defense class but uh, let let's kind of get back to the bigger picture here of being competent and being dangerous and being uh, that's basically the vehicle to have. An ethical system that you can actually abide by and if need be enforce right
0: yeah absolutely
1: uh, yeah I, I, like i don 't want to get too far away from that point we 're getting into a lot of the the actual nuts and bolts and particular application of this, but i i i don 't want to lose sight of the fact that this is. Uh, like really what we're talking about here is, is a much bigger picture, uh, much bigger picture issue.
0: Yeah. I mean, and I guess when I think, when I hear Dr. Peterson say things like competent and dangerous, but, but not necessarily using it, using that force to, to, you know, to hurt other people or to steal their stuff and that kind of thing, it's being honorable. If you want to just make it simple and, and being a vigilant protector of yourself and others, And I say this to those out there that are listening right now who perhaps have a concealed carry license and are carrying a concealed handgun. With that, uh, that power comes great responsibility. I know it sounds like a Spider-Man show, but that is absolutely true, you know.
1: Or if you're one of those BJJ nerd assassins that is a computer programmer by day and you just choke dudes out by night or whatever the case may be, or, or you're like some a cage fighter or whatever the case may be, that ability brings with it a, a huge responsibility set.
0: It is. So to kind of close this thing out, man, I think the wisdom of today or what we're hoping you uh, take away from this is by becoming competently a dangerous person, you ought to be thinking of a protector-driven physical philosophy, uh, so that you 'll do the right thing in the right way at the right time, for the right and ethical appropriate reasons, and then I think if you are life will be pretty darn good for you, man people will um, one of the things we talk about when we teach classes is uh, that you should be the instructor needs to have gravitas, and when I think of that it 's like the the person that has gravitas is like their words have teeth. You never doubt what that person is saying, and that they mean what they say, and they have the ability to back it up. So be a person of gravitas.
1: Let me throw one more thing on that. You said this would make your life better, and that is ultimately what this podcast is about. It's to make you more independent, less dependent on having to call AAA to change your tire because you have a flat tire, less dependent on having to do whatever your company asks because you're afraid of losing your job, less dependent on having to wait minutes for the police when you have seconds in that situation, whatever the case may be. It's to make you more independent, more competent, more dangerous, and less reliant on external forces to save you in any situation.
0: Yeah, man, and that is the whole purpose of this show, absolutely, you know, that you're someone that, you don't, you don't, uh, you can some people say I carry a gun cause it's, 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 it's easier than carrying around a cop. You know what I'm saying? It's like, I can't always have a police officer there with me. So I carry this handgun to protect myself. And in that, the ability to protect myself, I gain a resiliency and adaptability, which I think are two of the things we talked about on our very first show. Right? Yep. All right. So this week's book of the week, man, I think I'll throw it out there is a really interesting book that I stumbled across, man. It's called The Way of Men by Jack Donovan. So I read this book, Justin, and I was just like, oh my God, it's as if you you know, it's as if this book was swirling in my head and and he just gave it form and put it on paper because I agreed with with everything. And I matter of fact I thought this guy's a kindred spirit, dude. I mean, we think so much alike. We must be identical. And what I found was when I researched Jack Donovan, the man, that he was a high priest in the church of Satan at one point. He's a homosexual. And, of course, I'm a, I've am been married for 30 years. I'm a Christian. I mean, we couldn't be further apart ideologically. And yet our ideas on what it means to be a man were absolutely on point. And uh, I don't know how to reconcile that, but in his book, Jack talks a lot about what it means to be a member of the tribe and, and around a, a group of men and what it means to be more or less, and I'm borrowing my own phrase, a man among men. And he talks about these four core things. And he says that they are found anywhere in in all cultures that, that men exist, which they exist in all cultures. And he says that these four things are strength, courage, mastery and honor. And any society, there's no society on earth, Justin, where a man being weak is something that men are known for. Would you agree with that? I mean, is there any society ever?
1: Not that I know. I mean, you could look all you want, you're not going to find one. It just it, it, there are some societies where Women are maybe a little bit stronger than than is typical or or whatever, but he makes a good point that in no culture is a weak man is being weak an attractive like sexual trait for a man or is being like very like strong and you know and having a lot of traits that we typically associate with men, a woman having those traits in no culture is that a a, a sexual uh um, attractant i guess.
0: Yeah, man. So like, I think his point is like, he's not saying that all men are just so much stronger than women. You can certainly find women that are stronger than, than me or you or whatever. But what he's getting at is on average, men are 10% stronger than women. Doesn't sound like a lot, but evolutionary, it gave us some great advantages. The second thing courage. In any culture you look at, courage is a virtue. And men are known for their courage. The third is mastery. You can't be a man unless you have mastered some certain things. And it doesn't mean that, you know, in every society, like maybe you're the the town's cobbler and you repair the shoes and you've mastered that art. That has value in your community. You're the guy that can repair anybody's boots. And that's very important. And the fourth and final thing is honor. And he gives a, a long dissertation on what it means to have honor among men. And I really enjoyed the heck of that book, and I encourage you to uh, to take a take a look at it.
1: Yeah, my so my take on that is uh, so you told you told me about this book before I read it. You told me uh, what you just said about Jack Donovan. He's he's a gay Satanist, which I'll be honest, man, like that didn't that didn't even make me hesitate for a second. I'm gonna I'm gonna steal a quote from a guy I used to work with a long time ago that said, "I never knew a man I couldn't learn something from or teach something to." And I found that to 100% be the case. And and this book is absolutely phenomenal with one huge caveat. Do not listen to the audio book. This guy is, his ideas are awesome. Uh, His execution of reading a book out loud on a microphone, like it sucks out loud, dude. It is terrible. (laughs) It is absolutely terrible. And when you told me, yeah, I'm listening to it. I'm like, oh no, you weren't
0: supposed to buy the audio book because, (laughs) and I, On the other podcast that I have, I have for years I've wanted to have Jack Donovan on and I'm sorry, sir, I have not had you on because your speaking voice is terrible. It's it's some sort of comedic hyper masculine voice. I I don't know. It just turned me off. I I
1: feel like he tries to like throw on some sort of radio voice or some sort you know, like some sort of like and a man will like almost like he's in the pulpit or something, you know what I mean like i I, I don't know what's up with that, man, but anyway um g- great great book the got- ideas are solid. I would strongly recommend anyone read that, read it on your phone, read it on your Kindle, read it on dead trees, but man, this is the one book I would say do not don't don't listen to, don't waste your money on the audio book unless you're unless you just don't care about the voice at all, maybe you have like some sort of like tone deafness or something. And it just all sounds the same to you in that case. Maybe, maybe go for it, but dude, it, it's, and I'm like, I pretty much all I listen to is spoken word audio. So I listen to a lot of crap just cause I want the information and that it was a struggle to get through that. And I ended up buying the, uh, the ebook version to actually have on hand and go through again. Cause his voice is just so off putting. I, I, I know I'm hung up on that. I know I've been talking about it for, for three minutes now, but, um, awesome book definitely check that out
0: yeah so Justin i'm gonna I'm gonna jump off here and let these guys go work on becoming competent and dangerous man you want to close it out for us
1: yeah if you have not subscribed, please subscribe to the show that ensures that every single episode just shows up in your feed you don't have to go looking for us if you haven't rated and reviewed us it'll make you ten percent more confident and dangerous if you go and do that please rate and review us that's how we get found on iTunes that's how people make a decision to try this podcast out or not please go uh, please go do that and if you're looking for the show notes we post all the links for everything like we try to do a really good job of every you know everything that has a website or a podcast or whatever in the show of linking to that so you guys can easily find it uh, All that stuff is contained on AcrossThePeak.com. And that's all. You've been listening to the
0: Across the Peak podcast. Be sure to visit AcrossThePeak.com for show notes and bonus content. Until then, be safe. And if you can't be safe, be dangerous.